Welcome. You're listening to The Littlest Things in Life, and I'm your host, Nick Boer, an anatomical and clinical pathologist resident here at the Mayo Clinic, bringing you a podcast on microbiology, infectious disease, and the littlest things that have changed our world and continue to one bug at a time. Today we're continuing with part two of our Valentine's Day premiere episode, The Burning Sensations of Love. Let's talk STDs. Joining me today is Dr. Matt Binnaker, Director of Clinical Virology and Vice Chair of Practice in the Department of Laboratory Medicine and Pathology. Today we will discuss chlamydia and gonorrhea and why it is important for healthcare providers and the general public alike to have an understanding of the causes of these sexually transmitted diseases. Dr. Binnaker, thank you for joining me. You bet. Glad to be here. So we just spoke about two other STDs with Dr. Rizza, HIV and syphilis, which can uh, typically go unnoticed for long periods of time. But what we're talking about today, gonorrhea and chlamydia, these are what people usually think about when they're thinking STDs, like that difficulty in burning urination. This is what people will go to their doctor about. Can you talk about why it is so important to discuss chlamydia and gonorrhea and why healthcare providers and the general public today need to have a, a good general understanding of these causes of these STDs? Sure. So obviously both of these infections are spread through sexual contact and it's important that we have an understanding of chlamydia and gonorrhea because they are two of the most common STDs in the United States and worldwide. So just last year, the CDC reported that there were over 800,000 cases of gonorrhea in the United States, and that represents a 5% increase. And there were more than 1.7 million cases of chlamydia, which represented a 3% increase and the most ever reported to the CDC. So these infections can have a significant impact on patients. And although some patients may have symptoms like uh, painful urination that may cause them to present to their physicians, many infected individuals are actually asymptomatic. And that can go on and contribute to the spread of the disease. So if the infection isn't identified and it's not treated, it can lead to long-term problems such as infertility. And if an infection occurs in a pregnant mother, it can yield devastating consequences on her baby. So we just spoke to Dr. Riz about that and how uh, the 2018 STD report from the CDC and how over like the last five years, STDs have risen each year consecutively. Is there any reason why that we have an increased incidence over this timeline with these infections? Sure, it's a really good question. And we believe that there are a number of factors that are contributing to the increase in sexually transmitted infections, including chlamydia and gonorrhea. These include increasing rates of poverty, so lower access to healthcare and preventative service goes along with that. Also, there's been a steady decrease in condom use, most likely uh, because of decreasing fear of HIV. And this has led to a resurgence in the rate of STIs. There have also been cuts in STI programs at both the state and local levels, and this has led to reductions in STI screening and also reduced patient follow-up. And how are these diagnosed in the laboratory? How do we actually figure out going out if you have this or not? So years ago, we would attempt to culture um, chlamydia in eukaryotic cell lines, and that was a very labor-intensive and insensitive process. We still can culture Neisseria gonorrhea, the organism that causes gonorrhea, but both the culture methods have largely been replaced by methods called nucleic acid amplification tests. So we're actually trying to detect the organism's nucleic acid in clinical samples. 
And this has really increased our ability to uh, detect these infections. They're very sensitive approaches. They're very reliable approaches. And so these are now the mainstay for diagnosing both chlamydia and gonorrhea. Those diagnostic processes, do you think those are going to change at all in the future? Do you think they're going to evolve or like what we have now is good? Yeah. So currently the majority of the testing for Neisseria and gonorrhea is performed in what I'll call a centralized clinical lab. So the samples get sent from the clinic, from the emergency department to a laboratory where testing is performed by a, a trained uh, laboratory technologist. So this is a reliable approach, but the downside is it can be hours or even days in some situations before the physician gets the results back of the testing. And that means that the patient has likely left the clinic. They've gone home from the emergency department. And regardless of the results that the laboratory issues, the patient may not come back if follow-up is needed, uh, if, the, if the physician decides to uh, change uh, the patient's management of all, at all. So because of that, there's a lot of interest in what's called uh, point-of-care molecular tests. And so these tests are actually performed near the patient. They can be done in the emergency department, in the physician's office, by healthcare providers such as physicians, nursing staff. And so I would anticipate that over the next five to 10 years, we'll see molecular point of care tests for chlamydia and gonorrhea become much more common. And if that becomes a reality, then patients will be able to learn the results of their STI testing before they even leave the physician's office or the emergency department. For more laboratory education, including a listing of live conferences, webinars, and on-demand content, visit news.mayocliniclabs.com forward slash education. So why is it important then to have accurate and rapid laboratory testing results for chlamydia and gonorrhea? Well, it's really multiple factors of why that lab result is so important. The first is we need to identify who is infected so that we can get them the right antimicrobial therapy so that we can uh, cure that patient of the infection. But also, the longer someone is in the general population with one of these sexually transmitted infections and they're di not diagnosed and they're not being treated, the more likely they are to spread the disease to others. So proper diagnosis, Quick treatment means we help the patients who have the disease, and we also help curb spread of the disease to others. So with regards to the disease itself, if a patient becomes infected, how are they managed? Yeah, so patients um, fortunately do have um, antimicrobial options. It's kind of a good news, bad news uh, topic. The good news is that there are antibiotics that can be used to treat both gonorrhea and chlamydia. And if an individual is infected with gonorrhea, the CDC is currently recommending that patients receive a single dose of intramuscular ceftriaxone and oral azithromycin. And for those with chlamydia, treatment usually consists of oral azithromycin or doxycycline. So that's the good news is that we do have effective treatment. The bad news is that 
people can have repeat infections with these organisms. So even if they're treated effectively, it doesn't prevent them from getting reinfected in the future. Right. And then also there's been a dramatic increase in antibiotic resistance, especially among strains of gonorrhea. And resistance to a class of antibiotics called fluoroquinolones uh, among strains of gonorrhea is really considered widespread, so, so much that these antibiotics are no longer recommended for treatment. And we've also been seeing increasing resistance to azithromycin, which is really worrisome. And because of that, we'll likely see testing for antimicrobial resistance become much more common in cases of chlamydia and gonorrhea. That was my next question, actually, because with drug-resistant gonorrhea being in the news so often, the next real concern is how worried should we be about it? Yeah, I think we should be um, vigilant is, is the right word, and we need to work with uh, industry uh, manufacturers of new tests and also our healthcare provider teams to really focus on developing tests that can not only diagnose an individual with chlamydia, gonorrhea, but at the same time give us an indication of their antimicrobial susceptibility profile. So right. looking for specific gene mutations that confer resistance to a class of, of drug. Um, I think that'll become more common in the future so that physicians can direct therapy uh, in more of a personalized way um, from the outset so that patients can get the right treatment um, from the, the outset and have the highest chance of, of curing their infection. Right. So this is a lot um, right away for a lot of people. So what should be the big takeaway that the audience should get from just talking about gonorrhea and chlamydia? Yeah, I think if I were to emphasize just a few points regarding these two sexually transmitted infections is that we're seeing an increased incidence uh, because of a number of factors. Um, we're seeing, uh, I think, among the population, lower rates of, of condom use because fewer people are concerned about dying from HIV. And so um, that has changed some of the sexual pra practices, which is leading to now some increased incidence of infections like chlamydia and gonorrhea. So we need to, as a, a community, be vigilant about controlling the spread of these diseases. That lab testing is a really important part of controlling spread of disease because we are not only identifying the currently infected people, but we're hopefully uh, treating those individuals and preventing the spread of disease to others. And then the third and final take home is that antimicrobial resistance is a real um, issue and that we need to um, stay on top of this and be vigilant about uh, ensuring that the right antibiotics are used. And we can do that through testing patients, uh, uh, chlamydia and gonorrhea strains for resistance markers. So it's really a team effort. We need to work with our healthcare provider teams, with our industry partners who are making the new lab tests. And of course, the laboratory professionals all come together to hopefully yield the best outcomes for these patients. Sounds good. All right, well, Dr. Benneker, thanks for coming in today. I really appreciate it. You bet, glad to talk about this important topic. Mm -hmm. Thank you to our experts for taking the time to discuss these topics with us. And to our listeners, thank you for joining us. We hope you've enjoyed this bonus series under Lab Medicine Rounds. We invite you to share your thoughts and suggestions via email. 
please direct any suggestions to mcleducation at mayo.edu and reference this podcast. I invite you to follow me along on Twitter at Dr. Buer, as well as following this podcast on Twitter at The Littlest Pod, where I'll be updating and posting along with the current episode. If you have enjoyed this special episode of The Littlest Things in Life, please subscribe and listen to Lab Medicine Rounds. Thank you.